and welcome to the Cantina Chatter Podcast. My name is Victoria, and I will be your guide on this adventure through toys, collectibles, and film discussion. In this first episode of 2019, I am excited to be kicking off the Kenner and Hasbro Star Wars Toy Line Retrospective. This is a monthly series that I have had in the works for some time. Since 1995, there have been many different modern Star Wars toy lines from both Kenner and Hasbro. Longtime collectors will recognize names like The Power of the Force, Power of the Jedi, the original trilogy collection, and the Legacy Collection. These are but a few of the mass-produced Star Wars toy lines in the 3 3 quarter inch scale over the years. So I thought, hey, why not do a Cantina Chatter podcast episode for each line? Again, the plan is to do one of these episodes every month for roughly the next year or so. Each episode will feature a different guest, and together, we will look back on the memorable Star Wars toy lines that have come and gone over the past two and a half decades. We will discuss the different assortments in each line, the collecting environment of the time, our personal toy hunting experiences, our favorite figures, and the legacy that each line has left on the collective whole of modern Star Wars toys. I'm pretty excited about this series, as I will get to chat with some of my friends such as Dan Curto, formerly of Rebel Scum, Chris Swansky of Bantha Skull, Marjorie of Star Wars Action News, fellow YouTuber Chris Salton of The Collector's Hut, Jason from Yakface.com, and many more. In this first episode, I am thrilled to welcome Aaron of Toy Shelf Review back to the show. Toy Shelf Review is a Star Wars toy review channel that produces some of the highest quality toy reviews on YouTube. His videos are of professional quality, and he is detail-oriented in each of his reviews. His passion for Star Wars toys comes through quite strongly in his videos. He is the perfect guest for this inaugural episode of the Retrospective series as we kick things off with The Power of the Force. Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me again. So the Power of the Force line kicked off the last 23 years of Star Wars action figures and toys. I think it's very easy to forget that before it began in mid-1995, there was a 10-year dark period without any Star Wars toys from Kenner. Uh, what effect do you think this had when Star Wars toys finally came back with the Power of the Force after such a long absence from the toy aisle? I think it, it, it certainly built up a lot of anticipation for the line returning to the shelves, a lot of excitement. Uh, I think at that time, you know, wasn't much going on in the internet, but I think uh, Lucasfilm was already talking about bringing back the special edition, as we now call it. But yeah, uh, I, I think there was certainly a lot of excitement around that. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't collect during the vintage days because I wasn't really <laughs> around yet or really couldn't do it at that point. But uh, in 1995, when uh, it came back, there was a lot of hype. I think there was this consensus that had been floating around that Star Wars was coming back, and there was a lot of excitement. Certainly, yes, and a lot of nostalgia with that. You know, whether it was part of your childhood, if you were old enough at that time to be the, you know, playing with the toys, or if it was just something you'd heard about. I think a big nostalgia factor certainly played in. Absolutely. Um, so when you think back to 1995 and 1996, what stands out to you about the early days of the Power of the Force line? For me, it was just a lot of the excitement of seeing these figures again that I played with as a child. 
and actually, when I was a child, I didn't have that many Star Wars figures. It was just a handful, really, and uh, a vehicle or a couple vehicles. I had the speeder bike. I had the snow speeder, the X-Wing TIE fighter and such. I guess I don't need to list it all. Um, but it was that excitement of just uh, being able to collect uh, these toys. I think I mentioned previously on the podcast that I was helping out on a collecting show. And so that's where I first heard about these toys coming back to the shelves. I was already kind of around people who were collecting stuff and just right away, it was instant excitement for me to be able to have this, to build a collection, to keep things on a card. And originally that's what I was going to do was just purchase them, keeping them on a card. I had opened the vehicles and it was just a few months later where I decided I really want to open these up, but I also want to keep them packaged. So that's when I started buying doubles. Um, I think that was a, a pretty common thing at the time, too, for anybody that was serious about collecting the line. You know, there a lot of people at the time were investing on these figures. They were going in, buying a ton of them. And um, there was this idea that, you know, they'd be worth a lot of money in, in years to come. And uh, people started hoarding them. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, even for me as a kid, uh, I want to say I was about 10 or 11 when I started collecting this line. Um, I was even conscious about that and, you know, keeping, you know, one to, to, to keep boxed and one to open, uh, particularly with the figures. I did that with the three and three quarter inch figures up to a point. And then <laughs> the, as the line got so big, I eventually said, you know what, I can't do that anymore. I'm just a kid. I, I have barely any allowance right. money to, to, to buy all this stuff. So. Um, yeah, but I think back in 1995 when the line started, I think it was a very logical starting point. I think, that, you know, back then there were no prequels. Uh, there was an expanded universe, but it was mostly unknown to people unless you were like a hardcore Star Wars fan who had read like the Thrawn trilogy and perhaps kept up with the old comics. Uh, I think they were right to kick things off with an new hope wave. Very logical. And um, I do think it's interesting how they called it the Power of the Force, which of course was the name of the last vintage Star Wars line in the mid 80s. Uh, the ones that came with the collector coins. Because of that, I think most collectors call the 1995 line the Power of the Force 2. Correct. Yeah, so I started collecting this line, uh, I think it was 1996, uh, by which point there were already like two or three waves out. Um, did you get right into it when it came out in 1995? <clears throat> yes, I did. Uh, I remember constantly checking out the Toys R Us in my area. Well, little tear there. Um <laughs> But it was a constant Toys R Us run waiting for it to, to show up on the shelves. And I think it was into August when I finally saw it on the shelves. And so, yeah, I was immediately in. I didn't start getting the 12-inch figures right away. That was something I held off for on a little bit. And then eventually it just, I guess I started to just develop or realize what it is I wanted in my collection and went back and picked those up. Yeah, definitely. I think it was August 95, um, if I recall when I was researching that, they started hitting shelves. So that definitely sounds right about the time that uh, that the line came back. Um, so one of the more memorable things about this line, I think, is the whole thing with the long and the short sabers and short trays and long trays, yes. half circles on Boba Fett, .00 and .01 on card backs. Um, anyone who collected during that era likely knows what this stuff means, but to anyone who might be newer to collecting, it probably sounds like nonsense. Absolutely. And it was, there were so many variations in that early part of the line where, as you mentioned, the Boba Fett's hands, you had long sabers on the figures, and then they eventually make, made those shorter lightsabers as far as the blade length. 
And then on top of that, you had figures with short sabers, but still in the long tray. So there was certainly <laughs> a lot to keep track of at that time. Absolutely. And uh, I remember every time I'd be in the stores and I needed a new figure, um, I, I think it was Toy Fair magazine and a lot of the, uh, the magazines for collecting that were out at that time um, were, you know, oh yeah, 0 .00, that's, that's the first one. And then .01 on, on the card back, that's the second one. Correct. Um, so I was always looking, do I have .00, .01? I remember there was a day that I found this out and I had to go back and look at my figures and I pulled them off. I had them hanging on the wall at the time. I pulled them off and I looked at the back. I'm like, which one do I have? And I think most of them were .01. I was like, okay, well, that's not as good, but, you know, <laughs> but hey, I have the figure still. So that's all that matters. Right, and I have to say it was kind of nice. You always knew, you know, if you were a variation hunter, which I, at that time, I really was. I've held off on that because it just seems like, you know, you turn your head and you can almost pick a variation up. But that was something I was really into, and it was nice. It was it was a nice tracking method of knowing if you still had something to look for or not, or, oh, there was a change. You know, it's a puzzle game. What, what was that change? And all, it's just... A printed warning label instead of a sticker now. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, also in 1996, Kenner started putting out the 12-inch figures, and that line was called Collector Series. Uh, I think I might like to do a separate episode about that line, too, because it started a bit small, uh, but it also got really big uh, within a year or two. Um, but were you at all into the 12-inch line at the time? Very slowly. Uh, initially, I wasn't. It was I was going to stay very focused on the, just the three and three-quarter inch, and I think maybe by the time the second wave was starting to show up I went back and started getting uh, the first wave of figures which I think was Obi-Wan uh, Darth Vader and a couple others that I don't recall and you know even within those I remember they had variations to those where it was initially on a dark blue background yes <laughs> then it came out on a light blue background and I think Obi-Wan had several variations with the way his outfit was either displayed or placed on him or something, the accessories. Right. And some of the, the weapons, like the guns or the lightsabers, had like a plastic bubble over them and some didn't. Right. A lot of weird stuff. Um, but I have a lot of stories about that line. It was certainly an interesting one to collect. And of course, like with so many of the Power of the Force 2 figures, when I look back at the 12-inch figures, they don't look quite as great as they did at the time. Um, but at least where I lived in Texas, there was a lot of competition for those 12-inch figures. They were Some of them were really hard to get. Gotcha. I recall them being relatively easy in my area, easy to find in my area. Maybe as it got a little later on, uh, think it was still Power of the Force 2, or, or Power of the Force line or Collector Series, rather, you know, when it went to the open window box instead of the flap door. I recall um, having a little harder time once in a while finding some of those. Yeah, the, the whole thing was interesting, too, because that line also had a lot of exclusives. And um, if you didn't have stores like Toys R Us or FAO Schwartz in your area, like you couldn't get them. You, I mean, and, and back then, eBay, I don't even know if it was around in 95, 96. But, no, I don't believe so. Yeah, so you were kind of just up to, you know, your luck was whether or not you had those stores and uh, or if you had a relative or a friend maybe in a town that did and they could get them for you. But that was kind of the extent of it. Or, or of course, if you had a collecting friend. But it was definitely a different time because that technology that we have now, the Internet, forums, uh, Facebook, none of that stuff existed. So, uh, well, the Internet existed technically, but I didn't know anybody that had it back then. I didn't have it for sure. I don't think my household got until like 2001. Um, so uh, it was definitely a different, different time. 
uh, for collecting, uh, the internet being in its infancy, we just didn't have those resources to, uh, you know, at our disposal. So we had to rely on other people to track a lot of this stuff down. Correct. Yeah, it was very different time. If you wanted something, you had to hope to find it locally or a, a collector shop, but certainly not the trading for, or, you know, your Facebook forums and places that you can trade in that just wasn't there at the time. Right. And a lot of the things I didn't even know were coming until I actually saw them on the shelf. And I'm like, hey, what's that? That's new. Absolutely. I mean, I checked a few sites early on. I think Rebel Scum and Yak Face were one of the first sites that I was aware of and to this day still follow. That was the best way I got my information at the time of anything that was on its way or uh, coming soon. Yeah, I remember when uh, I got to middle school. Uh, this was in 97, I think. Uh, and uh, we had the internet there at the school and uh, occasionally we get you know free time to kind of just go to the library and do what we wanted to do. And uh, that's what I would, I would be up all in that. I would be like <laughs> Star Wars, you know, what, what are the new figures? Um, I'd be looking at, you know, news about episode one, things like that. Yeah. So uh, by the end of 1996, Kenner did something a bit weird. They started issuing new figures, including Cantina Aliens, characters like R5-D4, the Death Star Gunner, Sand Trooper. And they flipped the front of the card from silver uh, to gold, where you had the Star Wars font. And then they added holographic stickers to some of the cards, uh, only to change the entire card color from orange and yellow, or some people say it's red, uh, to green, along with new collection designations uh, on the card. Um, what do you think was the goal behind those sudden changes to the line? I, only guessing, I think it was a way just to change the look of it, since uh, the orange cards had been on the shelf for some time. What I'm not certain on is what they were trying to accomplish with the stickers, the holographic stickers, because it was a weird transition period where that same wave of the Death Star Gunner, Greedo, Sand Trooper, Jawas, and you know, that whole batch, they were on the orange card and also out on the green card, but on the shelves at the same time, you could find the green card with a sticker or without the sticker. Yeah. And then eventually, I think they switched over to all being on... Uh, with the hollow stickers on it, but you could, if you wanted, you could just easily peel those off and reveal the color photo underneath. Right. Yeah, it was definitely weird because, like you said, they did hit pretty much at the same time. Um, like, you had the, the orange carded figures with the holographic stickers and the gold lettering, but I think within, like, I mean, I, I kind of remember them hitting pretty simultaneously. Like, I don't remember finding yep. many of the uh, uh, the orange carded versions of those Cantina Aliens uh, before I found the green ones, I kind of feel like it was a little bit of a mix sometimes. Like they kind of hit at the same time. Yeah, that's my memory as well. They were pretty much showing up at the same time. Yeah, it I feels like they were trying to uh, refresh the line just to kind of, uh, as they still do, you know, different toy lines. They, they still, after a year or two, they'll switch package pack, packaging up. Uh, unless you're something like the Black Series where you hold on to the same look for years on end. <laughs> right. Um, but it definitely was weird how, you know, like you said, they went to the orange card with the holographic stickers only to change it. It was almost like they, they had this idea in mind, but then they said, no, 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 let, let, let's actually just change the whole thing to green. Um, definitely an odd thing. Maybe they couldn't decide on a look or uh, one other thing, I guess, maybe that played into it was uh, at least with Shadows of the Empire, yeah, that went to the purple cards. Mm -hmm. And I th think maybe that happened around the time of the line going green but um 
we had Leia eventually make her way to the power. Of the, I'll, I know it's all still power of the force, but she made her way from the shadows of the Empire to the green carded line. And even Boba Fett, his slave one, was initially released on the purple box and came out on green. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was just maybe it was just their way of changing everything over. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but since we're on the subject of Shadows of the Empire, uh, what can you tell us about the Shadows of the Empire line? That was a big multimedia push, as I recall. It had video games, books. For some reason, I feel like there might have even been a CD, a music CD. Yeah. yeah published on that. Okay. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh, basically, you had everything but a movie, and we got a series of figures released as part of that push, uh, which was uh, their first. I don't think they did any expanded universe type figures in the original vintage line. So this was kind of the first push into you know, figures that you weren't really familiar with if you didn't follow anything else but the movie. Right, and it even went as far as them including the uh, Dash Rendar's Outrider uh, ship in uh, the special edition of A New Hope. Correct. So they uh, they definitely went all out with pushing Shadows of the Empire, kind of like they would do later with Battlefront, and then even after that with uh, The Force Unleashed. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they had the figures, they had um, even a type of a, a comic pack. It was like an early comic pack, right, where it had like two figures and a comic book in there. Correct. There was Prince Shizor and Darth Vader and then IG-88 versus Boba Fett. And I thought those were great. And um, they did some vehicles. They had like the little, the swoop bike with the, the swoop. Was it like, was he like a trooper or some sort of character like that? I think he was a type of bounty hunter. Okay. Yeah. So we had that. And uh, like you mentioned, the slave one that came out in the Shadows of the Empire packaging, which was, you know, the purple um, on there and then the Shadows of the Empire font. Um, as a kid at that time, uh, I'm not sure how closely you were following Expanding Universe, but to me it just came out of left field. I was like, I don't know what this is. I've seen the movies. I love the movies. Um, I have all these toys, but I have no idea what this stuff is. So for the most part, I kind of ignored it. Yeah, I did not follow Expanded Universe, and actually I, I still don't. Um, I guess just too many things to focus on. But you know, for me, I still collected it. It was Star Wars, uh, so it didn't change my patterns at all. It's something that I still kept a close eye out for on the shelves. Nice. Uh, the one I always remember too is the Chewbacca figure that had like the buzz cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, Princess Leia in, in the, the Boosh disguise because we didn't have that in the main line at that point. So uh, it was a nice way to get that figure at least. It was indeed. It was it was some of the excitement of getting, as you mentioned, you know, you didn't have Leia yet. That was our first way of getting Slave One, also. Definitely, and uh, yeah, it was. Some of them were, were actually pretty fun toys, but again, I just wasn't all of that, you know, into it. I got a couple of them, but uh, like the Leia, like the Chewy, uh, and I had that suit bike, but uh, I was never really, I never really felt I needed to complete it because I didn't really know too much about the subject matter. Um, but, uh, so yes, we, we kind of talked a little bit about the transition between the green card, the, the orange cards and the green cards, uh, by the end of 96, uh, that's when those figures started to hit. And as I mentioned earlier, 1997 and 98, that's when the line really exploded. So you had new waves of figures becoming more frequent. You had more deluxe figures. You had multi-packs like the cinema scenes, the princess Leia collection, millennium minted coin packs at Toys R Us. 
Uh, the Max Rebo band pairs at Walmart, new assortments such as Shadows of the Empire and Expanded Universe. Uh, there were gunner stations, uh, electronic power FX figures, more vehicles. Uh, it's crazy how things went from being really focused with infrequent waves to pretty much anything you can imagine at that point in time. But what are your thoughts on how big the line got uh, all of a sudden from 96, 97 to 97, 98? Uh, I'll just say it was a fun time <laughs> for me. I I was enjoying it. Of course, that was the special edition release. So obviously with the popularity and I'm pretty sure sales were already good. I think that certainly helped the explosion. And yeah, you had a lot of great lines. I remember many times I would come home from toy runs with a couple big bags of toys and just walk into the house and <laughs> unload. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, uh, as I said, it was very focused. You had your basic characters um, for a while and, you know, very basic vehicles, TIE Fighter, X-Wing, Falcon. Um, but then all of a sudden you have all these cantina aliens. You have characters from Cloud City, like the, the Ugnaughts. You have um, these different troopers are starting to really saturate the line, like the Sand Trooper, Death Star Gunner. Uh, yeah, Snow Trooper, um, Royal Guard, all of these characters just started making their way into the line. And of course, most of them were from the vintage line. They were being remade, um, which was pretty cool. But I do want to elaborate a little bit on, on uh, several of these assortments, since after all, this is a retrospective and we'd be remiss to not explain what things like the cinema scenes or the Princess Leia collection were to people that might not know. Um, so there are quite a few different assortments. So I'll try to be as brief as possible with each one. Um, so the idea behind the cinema scenes was that you got three figures from a specific scene in the film for $20. For example, there was the Cantina Showdown, which had Obi-Wan, Dr. Evazan, and Panda Baba. Uh, Obi-Wan was a unique figure. It was different from the basic release. It was a different sculpt. Um, you also had sets like the Jedi Spirits, which were translucent versions of Anakin. And when I say Anakin, I mean Sebastian Shaw Anakin, because back then there was no Hayden Christensen. There was no Jake Lloyd um, uh, in the films. Uh, there, it had Yoda, it had Obi-Wan, and I think one of the really cool ones was the final Jedi duel, and that had Vader, Jedi Luke, and Emperor Palpatine sitting in his throne. And I think that's the only time we've ever gotten Palpatine in his throne in this scale. Um, did you have a favorite cinema scene? Well, actually, as you mentioned, I, I, to me, I think the final Jedi duel was one of my favorites. I, it was that throne that was quite exciting to get. Uh, and that's how I displayed it. I left the throne attached on the base because each of those came with uh, essentially a plastic base stand. Uh, Jedi Spirit, you know, they made it a little more decorated with the logs of the Ewok village. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the little slot, you could cut the backdrop out. And as the name implies, you could create a scene yeah. if you chose to display it that way. But, uh, the Jedi Duel was one of my favorites. Uh, getting the Jabba's um, the skiff guards, you had mm -hmm. the three pack there, and I think they came around the same time as the skiff was released. So it was a fun way to you could quickly get a few figures and you know complete a playset. You had uh, Jabba's dancers, and if you, I think that might have come out around the time that they did the cardboard playset. Yeah. So a lot of these were just quick ways to fill those little dioramas up. Right. I I totally agree. Um, I loved how they had that sort of element where, you know, they had the, the plastic stand, but then you could cut out the backdrop and plug it into the stand. Um, that was just such an inexpensive way to get, you know, some scenery on your shelf. And um, 
uh, of course, like you mentioned, there was like the dioramas, they had the cardboard dioramas, not only for uh, Jabba's palace, but also the cantina. Uh, and those were basically like 3D um, pop-out dioramas. They were folded in their boxes, but then when you pulled them out, you could unfold them and it would be basically like a 3D pop-out. Like you had this sudden, like really detailed looking cardboard backdrop on your shelf that you, and I still use them to this day, but I have both of them on the shelves. Um, and I mean, they still look great, even if you're taking like toy photos or, um, you know, you just want to have a little bit more uh, oomph on your shelf. Um, th they work really great with any of the figures from the past 23 years. Yeah, absolutely. They, I have both of mine set up filled with figures. I'd love to see more of those. Me too. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the things that it, it's such an inexpensive, I mean, it's cardboard, it's 3D you know, pop out cardboard. It's if they wanted to give us more environmental environmental sort of pieces that we could use to decorate our shelves. I mean, that's a really cost effective way of doing it because uh, you're just printing images on cardboard and you know you're folding them into these little compact boxes. Uh, th that was pretty genius for Kenner to do that back at the time, and I'm a little disappointed they we never saw any more of that after that point. Yeah, I've really. I wish more scenes would get made like that. I know we're recently have gotten now two play sets. They're starting to show up at Walmart for uh, the solo movie, but you know, mm -hmm. those are so tall. Um, the great thing on these is, you know, as you mentioned, they're very compact. They're not that high. You know, if you're have a few shelves stacked high or something, so it doesn't take a huge footprint up. I mean, they're certainly wide, but as far as height, it was a great size. The figures fit in there and you could just, populate an area out uh, so it worked great absolutely and even with like the Java's palace diorama uh went back in 2010 during the shadow of the dark side line they came out with the uh Jabba's, uh job in his throne at walmart and uh i, I actually cut out the uh, the cardboard uh throne that was on the on the cardboard diorama and the throne from the 2010 line actually plugs in perfectly and that slots in just right Oh, nice. Yeah, so those were great. Um, and, uh, of course, both sets came with a figure. Like, the cantina came with a sand trooper. Uh, personally, I at the time, I thought, why doesn't it come with an alien, like a unique alien? Um, but then you also had the Jabba's set. And um, who did the Jabba's set come with? Han Solo with his carbonite. That's right. Han Solo with his carbonite. And it was his melted carbonite. Correct. I think that's the only time they've ever done that. Yeah, you. I think you're right on that. We've gotten him glowing red. I don't think because yeah. <laughs> this one was hollow. You could set your figure within it or something, or indented. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the cinema scenes were great. Uh, they were kind of almost like an early battle pack sort of thing too, in, in a way. Um, but um, let's see what else did we have here. Like I said, there was a lot of stuff. The Princess Leia collection was seemingly a way to get more females into Star Wars. Um, each set was $11.99 and had a Princess Leia figure and another character. Uh, for example, Bespin Leia came with Bespin Han, Andor Leia came with Wicked the Ewok, uh, A New Hope Leia came with um, Ceremonial Luke, and then another A New Hope Leia came with R2-D2. Um, and uh, the figures were different from their basic releases since they had soft goods on them. Like Han, for example, had the, the soft goods jacket, or Luke had the jacket as well. And uh, Leia had soft good elements in her costume. And in the case of the indoor Leia, she also had the soft rooted hair. Um, was this a line that you collected? Oh, of course. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, I, I did like the figures. Uh, as you mentioned, I think that was the first introduction of soft goods 
on, you know, now we get a mix from time to time, but I think that was the first time we saw them used on the figures. Um, and you still got some fun ones. Uh, the ceremonial Leia certainly was a nice one to get. And boy, did Wicked already come out on the card yet? I can't remember if that was his first release or if he had already been out as a two-pack. Yeah, I, I don't recall. I think they hit somewhat around the same time. Okay. But nevertheless, I, I thought they were very good figures, whether, I, I guess, in my mind, it didn't matter as whether you're a boy or a girl. I suppose, you know, one thing maybe that helped differentiate it is they switched instead of using Darth Vader's face on it. Uh, the packaging it became uh, Leia's. Yeah, those were really nice. I think even by today's standards, they're pretty unique in, in the scope of the entire Star Wars line. Um, and uh, the soft goods really added an, a, a new element to the figures because during the Power of the Force days, n no, none of the figures had soft goods. I don't think, but uh, these ones I did. I don't think so. These ones did, and it was it was pretty pretty unique. Um, let's see. Aside from that. Uh, Let's see, there was the Millennium Minted Coin Packs. Those were Toys R Us exclusives. And uh, I know I didn't collect those because we didn't have Toys R Us in my hometown. Um, but some of those figures were repacked, some were repainted, and some were retooled, uh, and some were even new sculpts. But it's each of them came with the collector coins. And uh, now they actually look pretty cool, especially that Emperor figure. It has the lightning blasts. Mm -hmm. um, but they were somewhat overpriced, I think, at the time, $10 a pop, because I remember going to a town that did have them, a, a, half a Toys R Us, and uh, I saw them at $10. I was like, that seems kind of expensive. Um, so I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in those at the time, because that's compared to Target. I always remember the price point, $4.76 for a basic figure. Um, let me repeat that, four seventy six. Can you imagine how many figures we could get these days if they still cost that? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so did you collect the uh, Millennium Minted Coin Packs? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I grabbed those pretty quickly. Uh, as I recall, I think that was our first way of... I'm kind of... I'm turning my head, looking on my shelf for other figures. I think that was our first way of getting the uh, indoor Luke and Leia. Maybe it was one or the other. Uh, you know, the Snowtrooper had already come out. Emperor, Palpatine, uh, Chewbacca, and 3PO. Uh, but I think it was the indoor Luke and Leia that might have been new at the time. But I could be wrong. Yeah, they look cool for sure. Uh, if you have them, I've seen them like on a shelf. Somebody had them. And um, I, I thought they looked pretty cool just seeing like a row of them all with the coins. They look nice. Yeah, it is. It's a very nice looking display piece. Uh, unfortunately, for some reason, my C-3PO in the package hasn't aged well. All his little gold bits are starting to peel off <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> time to scour a new one on ebay i guess so <laughs> i've had that happen on occasion with toys um uh i think i do have a, a c3pr2 where the gold kind of just faded it's not that it peeled off it's just like it faded from like gold to more of a silver color mm. and then i've some of the magnets that came on those saga figures from like 2002 have disintegrated in the packaging i've had that as well even the ones on the shelf like it's just yeah, I guess disintegrating is the best way to put it because uh, I looked at it one day and I was like, what is this all over the magnet? And then realized it was the magnet. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Boba Fett must be on the prowl. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we also had the Max Rebo band pairs at Walmart. Now, these were actually really cool. These were There were three sets and each set came with two band members and they cost $12 each. 
So you could get some of Jabba's dancers, as you mentioned, in the cinema scenes. And that was a great way to get some of those figures because those were in the special edition and we had never seen them before. Um, of course, never had seen them as figures either. Uh, you could also get Ula with Celestius Chrome. That was a mail-away exclusive. Remember that one? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a very good mail-away. Yeah, and it, it's funny because most of these figures still haven't even been remade since that time. Like The band members haven't been remade. Um, or um, We did get Ula back in 2010 in that Jabba set I was talking about earlier. Uh, but we didn't get those dancers uh, remade at any point. Probably never will. Um and uh, the band members, they did repaint during the 30th anniversary collection, but they look pretty much the same. But I, I still love these sets. It was a great way to flesh out your job as palace shelf and, you know, just get all the instruments that you see in the films. And uh, especially like you have Max Rebo who comes with his his little organ or whatever you want to call that. And um, all the other aliens, just weird aliens with their instruments. It's just all fun stuff. Yeah, the Max Rebo band set was it was a fun one to pick up. Uh, obviously all unique looking and I thought they were very well done uh, the band organ thing looks really great so yeah yeah yeah, definitely they all look fantastic even today they, they hold up pretty well I think yeah I would agree uh, they could put them on the shelves today and I, I think they'd fit right in so there were the complete galaxy sets which had a figure inside of a, of a little planet and some sort of a little creature or other atmospheric feature. Um, so, for example, Luke Skywalker came in tattooing. And when I describe this, it sounds so weird. Luke Skywalker came in tattooing, but he did tattooing split in half. And he was in there. And then you had a miniature version of the Sarlacc on bottom. Uh, Darth Vader came in a Death Star and then with a small version of his meditation chamber inside. Um, and just weird things like that. Yoda came in Dagobah and you would open that up and there was like a little flying creature in there. Um, you kind of have to see these, I think, to understand what, what I'm saying, because they're just like these little planets, and it sounds bizarre, but you would open them up, and, you know, you'd have the figures in there. Uh, these were $15, and uh, definitely a little bit weird. Uh, were those also something you collected? I did. I still picked those up. Uh, nice. They were definitely kind of the oddball of the collection, but uh, something also a little unique to them. Uh, one of my favorites, I really did like the Ewok one that uh, catapult that or not catapult the glider that he was on the wings had the soft cloth to it mm, uh-huh. it sprung open uh it had the boulders in his hand that he could drop it it was something different not much play value to it since the idea is like this little diorama i guess diorama type piece right yeah very interesting for sure um, and another weird one was the gunner station assortment those were ten dollars uh, you had luke on millennium falcon uh, Han with Millennium Falcon and Vader and TIE Fighter uh, but these weren't really vehicles uh, they were just parts of the vehicles uh, which I think made them especially unusual because if you look at them they're not really convincing <laughs> and um, you could even get these vehicles at the time so it's kind of like well, why not just buy the full vehicle <laughs> those were odd things too uh, yeah the, the Millennium Falcon you could you know it was just the frame of the window with the, with the gunner to it the seat a neat idea as far as you know a, a little play feature it was it was like a playset without actually having the environment i suppose but uh-huh. the two bases connected together for the falcon part and then um darth vader's was just kind of like this handheld shooter i think you could shoot little missiles out from the <laughs> yeah. you know the front end of it so yeah very odd thing 
Definitely. It's, I, I don't really see the point personally. I mean, I feel like, especially like when you look at the Darth Vader one, it's like you could get, I think Darth Vader's tie around that somewhere in the power of the force era. So it's kind of like, why didn't you just get that? Like, why would you pay for like just a section of, of his uh, vehicle with the Darth Vader? They're just really weird. Yeah. It oddly, it reminds me of the little, um, bubble blower thing. My, we got my son at, I think it was the celebration where you could go to our land, uh, Disneyland and they had the little Darth Vader tie fighter that you shoot bubbles out. And this really <laughs> reminds me of that. <laughs> so let's see, there was the electronic power effects assortment and that consisted of a figure, an environmental piece and lights and sounds in some cases to recreate moments from the films. These were $10 and I thought they were actually kind of cool. I remember my brother had the emperor who had the lightning bolts coming out of his hands and they would light up. Uh, there was also Obi-Wan who had like a green or a yellow lightsaber for some reason. Maybe that was like a nod to the old Kenner card back. Um, uh, let's see, Obi-Wan also connected to Darth Vader. If, if you bought Darth Vader, you could connect him together. Uh, there was uh, R2-D2 in the Junlin Wastes and I think his eye would light up. Uh, and uh, also Jedi Luke, and he came with a part of the Death Star as well, so you could connect him to uh, to Darth Vader as well and recreate that duel if you wanted to do that. Um, what did you think of the uh, the FX line? I enjoyed this line. R2-D2 makes for a very nice display piece. Uh, he had a little magnet on the bottom of it with the lever in the backside. You could slide him around, but it had a very nice sculpt to it pretty decent paint job to the base around him and he made little sounds and as you said his eye light i lit up so uh, i enjoyed the line having the emperor's lightning bolts light up the um of course i had to get two darth vaders because i had to put them with luke and also obi-wan um yeah it was to me it was a nice line it was and especially when you consider that uh you know they were only ten dollars i mean it's it's kind of like why don't they do that now i mean that'd be another way to get some of these core characters uh, out there instead of doing like the two packs they do or you know some of the weird stuff that we've gotten since the force awakens um you know within that sort of price point uh, you know 10 to 12 or 15 dollars even um these were always really cool I, I i wouldn't mind seeing a return to some some of these with the little diorama pieces and then you know the electronics incorporated yeah that'd be great for sure um, so there were the deluxe figures. Those retailed for $8. And the first wave uh, came out in 96 when they had the orange line look. And uh, you had Luke Skywalker and Desert Sports Skiff, which was repurposed uh, way down the road over a decade later for the Clone Wars uh, with an Anakin figure. Uh, there was Han Solo with his Smuggler's Flight Pack and Crowd Control Stormtrooper. Uh, all of these were really strange vehicles because none of them were in the films and they all just looked kind of impractical. Um, and I remember I had each of these and I, I remember my brother had the Boba Fett that came out a little bit later. It had like this giant missile launcher that, yes. <laughs> um, and that's another strange one because it sort of negated the fact that Boba already had a rocket pack. It's like, why does he need this big machine? Um, so of course uh, they also did like the probe droid and stormtrooper with cannon or rather snow trooper with cannon uh, and the Hoth rebel trooper that had like the radar dish. Uh, those ones were in the films. Um, were you really into the deluxe figures as well? I picked those up also. Uh, quite confused, too, by the Boba Fett and Han and uh, even Luke Skiff. I mean, they were <laughs> interesting toys, you know, pretty imaginative. 
some of them even reminded me more of aliens, like something I would expect to oh. see in the alien movie. Uh, but certainly getting the probe droid and the snowtrooper with the, um, uh, or sorry, the, uh, well, snowtrooper with his cannon and then the Hoth trooper with um, the laser cannon. You know, those were some highlights because you uh, had those in the vintage line. So it was also a great, a great way to get some of those uh, mini rig vehicles into the line again. Sure. And uh, they, they were interesting for sure. And uh, they, the, even the figures like Khan had like a different like torso, like I think, I don't know if the whole figure was different, but like his torso had like, it looked like he was connected to his, his uh, vehicle. So the figures themselves were, all, were also a little bit unique, even the way they were posed, uh, even like the stormtrooper was like posed in a way where he could grab his crowd control vehicle or whatever you want to call that. Um, and uh, I actually missed out on, we're going to talk a little bit about these in a bit, but like the Fruit Loops. Uh, they did a mail away for Han in Stormtrooper disguise. I missed out on that. So uh, what I did is I took the, I didn't really care for these little deluxe figures because they were just so random. Uh, I took the Stormtrooper and I took the Han and I swapped their heads <laughs> so that I could make my own Han in Stormtrooper disguise. Um, probably wasn't as uh, quality as the mail away would have been, but it kind of served my purpose for that time. Uh, could have ended up being pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's see, uh, the creature sets, uh, there were quite a few creatures that were released during this era. Uh, and these came out, they started coming out around the time the special edition was released in theaters. You had Jabba the Hutt with Han Solo, which that Jabba to this day, I think looks so creepy. Oh, that's um, awful. It's based on the CGI <laughs> Jabba, which, you know, of course is also very creepy looking. Um, uh, but it had these really weird black eyes. Um, and there was also the, the Ronto with the Jawa, the Dewback with the Sand Trooper. I think those still look okay today. I think they hold up for the most part. Um, there was a Tauntaun with Han and a Wampa with Luke. And then much bigger sets too, like they did the Bantha with Tusken Raider and the Rancor with Luke. And those were $30 price point. Um, but creatures have always been such a fun part of the Star Wars line. And at that time, it was nice that they were actually doing them. Uh, it's too bad we don't really get creatures like that anymore these days. Absolutely. We need to get more creatures. I I agree on that one. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's part of the line. It's part of Star Wars. So you need more than just your human figures. That's part of the fun is having all the, you know, all the aliens to play with. For sure. And like they did the Wampa, I think late last year. That one was really good. I, I love that Wampa. Yeah. I, I haven't found one to open yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's. I think I saw the very first one, believe it or not, like two months ago. Uh, I saw it at Target, but I don't I don't know that I've seen it since. Uh, for some reason, it's it, it's just one of those that's hard to find. It's kind of like the Darth Vader that came out a couple years ago that had uh, the probe droid. Um, I know it was packed way smaller, way less than the, um, the Rathtar, but... Uh, it just seems like those original trilogy-based uh, figures, they, they still seem to sell before anything else does, interestingly. Uh, and um, let's see. Do you remember Epic Force? I'm just drawing a massive... Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yes, I, I picked those up as well. And those were really nice, kind of a precursor to the Unleashed line, where it just came on this little round base. Uh, and for me, I left mine in the packaging. I didn't get doubles of those because it was already in the clear packaging and you could just spin it around and look at it and yeah. uh fao schwartz had a, a three pack as an exclusive um, which was really nice and i'm trying to think that was oh, wow. 
I think Han Solo, Chewbacca, and I can't see around the corner. Uh, I can't remember who else was in that one. Oh wow! That's, you know what? I this the, that's a testament to how how big this line was and the exclusives and all because I didn't even know about that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I think they had a maybe a core of about six to eight original trilogy characters, and then when Episode One came out, you had Darth Maul, Qui Gon, and Obi Wan released, and then that was the end of that. Right, and these were closer to about six inch scale. Um, I think weren't they five six inch scale somewhere in that? I would say in that range. Yeah, and they were not articulated as I recall, but they did mount to those display bases. And as you mentioned, you didn't really need to open them because there was a dial in the bottom of the base that you could try out without opening the the figure. You just turned it, and the figures would spin on their bases. Correct. Yeah, they look nice, and I think these are probably aimed more at uh, at more serious collectors. Like I had the C three PO who was holding up his leg. Uh, it was based on that scene at the end of The Empire Strikes Back where C-3PO is going around the Falcon and he's trying to get rebuilt, but R2 is too busy saving the day, of course. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't know about that FAO Shores 3-pack. That's interesting. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. But you see what I mean? I mean, we're not even done here, and this line is ridiculously big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you obviously, you still have the vehicles that we haven't touched on. Yeah, let's talk about the vehicles because there were quite a few of them. Like, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, it was kind of more, um, it was a very focused line. Like, you had the X Wing, you had the TIE Fighter, uh, you had the Millennium Falcon, you had Luke's Land Speeder, but then it started growing. Uh, they started doing things like the speeder bikes. Uh, there was the one that came with the Scout Trooper, but then they also did one with Luke, and then they did one with Leia. And, um, it just kind of grew from there. Shadows of the Empire, of course, had a Boba's Slave One. It had Dasher and Dar's Outrider, the little swoop vehicle we mentioned earlier. Uh, what else can you remember? Concept vehicles. Yes, yes, concept vehicles. So you vehicles. had your uh, Snowspeeder concept, which they were in much smaller form, but they had the, the Snowspeeder. They had a uh, cloud car where it was just a single one. And I don't know what it was called, but it had like a... It looked like an AT-AT driver in the cockpit, and it was like this little arrow-looking yeah, thing, and, and the it was front just, end kind of folded the, up. Was that the cruise missile trooper, maybe? Yes, yes. Yeah, and it was just the head, right? It didn't. Did it have the whole figure in there? Or was it just yep, the head? Just, just the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are those are very unique. I'm glad you brought this up because as I was compiling my notes for this episode, I completely omitted those. Um, yeah, those were very interesting for sure. And like you said, they were a lot smaller than the actual vehicles would have been, but they were, you know, concepts. So, you know, they could have been any size, really. Um, let's see. There was also the A-Wing. Do you remember that one? Yes. That was a good one. I know my brother had it and he took it out of the box and, uh, that was a really nice one. To this day, I don't think they've made an A-Wing that, that was quite as nice as the Power of the Force A-Wing. It holds up to this day. I think it was just a terrific vehicle. Yes, definitely a very solid quality to it, of course. Um, let's see, what else did they have? Uh, okay, so it was the AT-80. Uh, that was, it looks like it was a, uh, it was based off the vintage mold uh, for the AT-80. So not, not quite as big as what we got years later um, when during the Legacy Collection and such, but um, this was definitely a large vehicle for the time. The AT-80 obviously was tall and you could put your figures in there. Uh, it looks like it had some electronics as well. Yeah, it had a little, like a comm station of sorts. Uh, as I remember, it had two little 
I don't want to call it LCD screens because that was not there at the time, but <laughs> it was this light-up panel. It had two light-up panels, and you push the buttons, and uh, various sounds would be made. Uh, you could slide the weapons at the front of the vehicle and get lights and sounds with that. Uh, I was very nice. excited to find that. I didn't. That was one I wanted as a kid, and I, I never had. So I was really excited to be able to get my hands on that. Very cool. So let's see here. Uh, ATST. Uh, this one was also based off the vintage figure, uh, or the vintage vehicle, rather. Uh, and, uh, of course, which looks a little different from what actually showed up on screen in Return of the Jedi. Uh, but that was a way to get that out. And I always remember looking at it. Uh, I didn't realize that at the time that the ones on Hoth actually did look like this. And the ones on Endor looked like what we usually think of when we think of an ATST. Um, but I always looked at it and thought, why does it have like the, the little eyes, if you want to call them that closed? You know, why does it look a little bit more rounded than the ones on Endor? But that was completely why. They didn't actually sculpt a new uh, ATST vehicle for uh, the vintage Return of the Jedi line or the power of the Force. They just used, you know, the old one that they had from Hoth. Right. Uh, my real only thought on this one is, boy, I wish they stood up better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have that walking action. Yes. The legs move back and forth. So let's see. Rebel Snowspeeder was another one. Uh, Y-Wing Fighter. Um, Luke, Luke Skywalker's T-16 Skyhopper. This was an interesting one. That was a fun one to get. It was, you know, you didn't you, you blink and you're going to miss it in the movie. I never realized it was in the background uh, when we saw Luke, you know, flying the little toy around. But it was neat to get, I guess, a toy of a toy he also was playing with. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely, yeah, yeah, the way that you put it like that, that, I mean, that makes complete sense. So, uh, and what's interesting about that, too, is that we did get a Luke figure that actually had the toy version, his toy version of the T-16 later in The Power of the Force. So that was a nice touch as well. Yeah. Let's see here. We have the Tatooine skiff. I think you touched on that one earlier. So it was Luke Skywalker. He came on, on the actual skiff from... Uh, Return of the Jedi or one of the skiffs. Mm -hmm. um, so that one, let's see, $20 price point. And uh, the Luke figures and anything are remarkable, of course. But uh, these, you know, of course, having the skiff in there, they're, they're going for a lot of money lately on eBay with the barge coming uh, next year. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's helping out a lot of those prices, I think. Well, Definitely. raising them, I should say, not helping. But yeah, yeah, I think that was a Target exclusive along with a Y-Wing around the same time. Yes, there was a Y-Wing as well, based on the uh, A New Hope look. And uh, let's see, that was that was a little bit later in the line. It had the, the updated packaging towards the end of the line. Correct. And uh, yeah, it does say Target exclusive, retailed at $20. Can you imagine that? Oh, <laughs> could buy so many. <laughs> I know, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, uh, Another fun one was the electronic... They did a larger scale X-Wing. That's right. They did. It was a more movie accurate and it wasn't based off the vintage mold, of course. This was the first time they actually re-sculpted it and they incorporated some electronics into it, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff. And uh, I think we, we ended up seeing this one get repainted a few times as the years went on. Yeah. pretty. It might have gotten reused also for... Later, I think it was the Saga collection, original trilogy collection, but I think it was one that got used where it was in this big opened up box kind of with the windows all over it and had the swamp all over. 
Like it was Luke and yeah, Dagobah. Yeah, I have, figure. I have that one. I love I love that X-Wing. I love all the little, um, all the swamp pieces that you can put on it. Um, funny little off, off side story about that is my uh, my dog got a hold of one of those pieces one time. Oh, no. He tore it up. Um, but yeah, that's that's a story for later on. Um <laughs> But yeah, there there was uh, all the you had quite a few vehicles. You had your playsets. I mentioned earlier the detention block rescue, the Death Star escape, which you know were really small playsets, but uh, they really helped to uh, add you know play value to your toys if you wanted to do that, or even just do dioramas, put them on your shelf. Uh, they were great for that, and they were only ten dollars. Yeah, uh, indoor attack is another one certainly where, as yes. playsets go, there's not a lot to play with. But it really fills the scene out. It gives you the bunker, the doorway. Uh, I've got a whole shelf kind of built out just because of that uh, playset. Same here. I uh, I have the indoor attack, and I have it in my little indoor setup on my shelf with uh, you know all the other indoor stuff. And uh, I have some Ewoks on top of it, and I have a C-3PO mm-hmm. and R2 trying to get the door open, and... Um, and I don't think they ever re-released that. I, I think that was that's one of them that still holds up to this day for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other playsets, there's the Hoth battle. Uh, and, of course, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the 3D uh, pop-up dioramas already. So uh, a lot of great stuff there. It's, it's really a shame that we don't get any kinds of playsets these days, other than the ones you mentioned from Solo, because those are technically playsets. They're just not... Uh, they're not priced the same way these play sets were. And they don't, I don't think they offer you ultimately the same play value that a lot of these other sets did. Yeah, they're just very different. They're Even as far as scenery goes, you know, the, really all you have is the train on the one side for the solo one. And uh, the rest of it is kind of, I guess they're just standing on the mountain or something. So it's, it's a good effort. I'm glad they went there. Uh, but I certainly hope more come. Yes, definitely. Um, so we can't forget the exclusives. Um, I mentioned earlier, Fruit Loops had a mail away for Han in Stormtrooper disguise, and this was very on in the Power of the Force line. Um, do you remember the one with the lace potato chips and the spirit of Obi Wan? Yes, yes. Yeah, those those are interesting. Those are definitely fun mail away figures, and you know something we don't really see these days. Uh, I also noted Ula and Salacious Crumb. Uh, that was a fan club exclusive. Uh, along with Wooher the bartender, uh, you had Cabe and Muftak, the Cantina aliens. Those were internet exclusives, uh, and then the Cantina band member, which came with Austix instruments. That was also a fan club exclusive. So if you wanted to get the whole band, you had to buy that figure six times. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there was the Biomar monk from Jabba's palace, another internet exclusive. And when I say internet exclusive, that's exactly what they were. You had to buy them from the Kenner website. And um, as I mentioned, I didn't have the internet at the time. My family didn't have that back then. So I missed a lot of these until years later when eBay was a thing and I was able to go back and get some of them. Um, But the one that makes me the angriest, even still to this day, is the theater edition Luke Skywalker. And I'll tell you why. Um, This figure was exactly the same as the Jedi Luke figure you could get in the mainline. But it came on a special card back that was meant to commemorate the release of the special edition for Return of the Jedi into theaters. And uh, the way that it worked is if you went on opening day for Return of the Jedi special edition, you you got this figure. Um, I don't know if it was my theater that, you know, just didn't get them or they forgot or what the story was. But I did not get a theater edition Luke Skywalker and I went on opening day. Um, mm. so 
In fact, I didn't even know about this until after I saw the film that this figure was a thing. I saw it. I was going through the um, one of the toy issues of Toy Fair, and I saw it. Theater edition Luke Skywalker, and it had like the values of each figure, and they would update those with each issue. Um, and I was like, "What is that?" Uh, finally, I found figured out what it was, and I was just so mad because I was like, "Why didn't I get this figure?" And even to this day, I still don't have it. So it's just one of those things. It's like uh, a little grumpy about that still. I could see that. Um, yeah, for me, so my theater, they did it for, I want to say it was like a 5 or 6 p.m. showing. It was later in the day, and it was the first 50 people in line. Uh, so we showed up, you know, because buying movie tickets online was not a thing at the time. So my friend and I showed up way early in the morning. We lined up. We got our tickets for that particular showing. And then I think we stood in line a good three hours early or something. And even at that point, we were the fifth and sixth person in line. Uh, so I was able to get my hands on one of those. See, maybe that's what I did wrong because um, at the and I think even it, it still applies now. But if you'd go to matinee showings back then, you would you could get tickets a little bit cheaper. So uh, I remember me and my sister and my brother we were on spring break at the time, and uh, my mom uh, took us to see it. Uh, but we went to the very first show. I think it was like around 10 a.m. So maybe that's that's where I went wrong. Uh, maybe you had maybe. to go to a certain showing to, to I pick don't, that up. I don't remember how I knew that it was at a certain time. Like I don't remember if I was calling the theater or if there was some sort of uh, posting on the Internet that I saw. But, yeah, I just I knew not to go for the first showing, but to go for a later one. Nice. Yeah, that, that's probably where I went wrong then. So you see that the saga still unfolds 20 something years later. <laughs> <laughs> Always learning to be done. Oh, yeah. Um, so here's an interesting one. Uh, episode one figures. Uh, the first figures from the prequels were offered as sneak preview figures in the Power of the Force line. And those first figures were Mace Windu, who was a mail-away exclusive, and uh, the Stap with Battle Droid, which you could find at retail. Um, so the first prequel figure you could get at your Walmart, Target, Toys R Us, KB Toys, FAO Schwartz, and service merchandise. Gosh, I feel all, old all of a sudden. <laughs> I know, service <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> um, the very first prequel figure you could find on store shelves was the Battle Droid. Isn't that weird? It, that is very weird because I can't say how excited I was for this vehicle and seeing the Battle Droid and thinking, wow, it looks, it, it's like a... A precursor to the speeder bike and trying to imagine what all is going to happen and in the end they're just bumbling droids <laughs> yeah I, I remember thinking too like oh these these droids are going to be like the new stormtroopers but they're robots how cool is that <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the mace figure was actually pretty decent as i recall it, i think even to this day it doesn't look awful i mean compared to some of the maces that came later on um it's a pretty nice looking mace windu it is. It's, it was a very nice looking figure. I think a lot of what came in the packaging that was released as episode one had the, with the hood up on his cloak and stuff. And I, I want to say this might've been one of the only ones, or at least early on where he had his hood down and robe opened up and stuff. Uh, obviously he came with a blue lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is film accurate. Well, I don't, I don't know about the blade color, but if at the end of uh, Phantom Menace, we do see his lightsaber on his belt, and it's a different design. And not, and not Sam Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another story behind that. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, how funny. It's funny. They thought no one would notice. <laughs> yeah, sneaky little people at Lucasfilm. Um, yeah, so speaking of how nice that figure actually looks, uh, that's one thing I should touch on here is that uh, the figures really evolved over a few short years. Because if you look back to 1995, there was a lot of criticism uh, for the design of the figures uh, looking really beefed up and muscular like Luke Skywalker. Uh, a lot of people still refer to that as He-Man Luke Skywalker. Uh, and then you had like Han Solo, who was pretty ripped as well. Even Chewbacca was, you know, had the big old shoulders and the big, you know, arms. And Vader was was pretty ripped. Um, Even C three PO wasn't the uh, <laughs> yeah. skinny droid as we know him. <laughs> no, it must have been like a mid nineties thing where the cool thing was to make figures look more action oriented or more muscular. What um, I've heard is that it was part of the toy line at the time to have that those features i aside from star wars i wasn't into any of the other lines so i wasn't aware of what the other lines looked like but i'm glad they eventually toned that down yeah for sure even even princess leia looked you know like yes. she'd been working out so and lando um, had quite the six pack yes he did <laughs> he really tight shirt and yeah you can see his 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 abs and gosh such weird stuff um, but yeah, it, I remember one thing that I saw when they did tone it down was like, you had like the ceremonial Luke Skywalker figure who had a little sticker on it said all new likeness of Luke. And I remember looking at that and being like, yeah, this does look like Luke. And you know, he's not all beefy. He is slim and you know, he does look more movie accurate. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. It, they eventually figured, out. I think it took about a year, maybe a little less before things started slimming down. And it, that was even gradual. It, yeah. By the time the green cards started hitting, you know, probably with that ceremonial Luke, you know, he still a little beefy, right? But not as bad as it was with the uh, original release, right? You and know, then I think by the time, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Luke with the little toy T sixteen, I think that's when they finally got him being the skinny Luke. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but like you said, it was gradual because even like Greedo was kind of beefy. Right. <laughs> it's just so funny, like the history of this, you know, Power of the Force line, all these little things about it that make it so unique in terms of, you know, all the different Star Wars lines that have come since then. And um, I, I think back then, you know, it, it ran a really long time, like without a name change. And that's why we have all these different lines and figures to talk about is because, uh, you know, Power of the Force did run from uh 95 uh was it like late 1999 i think or maybe even early in 2000 that uh figures were still popping up yeah it was right in that in 99 and it could have been beginning of 2000 uh, i think you had you know the the line switched over to using the comtech chips that the episode one figures came uh -huh. with and then i think that's when they switched over because they had the two lines running and then they brought it all into the one fold on the shelves. Yes, yes. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because Kenner did switch things up a few times uh, regarding the packaging. We talked about how the cards went from orange to green. Um, so initially you have the orange cards, which turn into orange cards with foil stickers and gold lettering. Uh, in some cases, uh, some didn't have the foil stickers and then that turned into the green cards. And again, some of them had the foil stickers, some did not. I don't really know what they're you know how they figured which ones were going to have the stickers and which ones weren't but that's how it was uh and then some that eventually changed to the green card back um with the uh freeze frame packins 
that were coming in there. And uh, the way that that worked is that you would buy the figures with the freeze frames and they were meant to be used in the mail-away slide viewer that was designed to look like Luke's macro binoculars he had on Hoth. Um, I think this was probably an era in, in which the stores had also a glut of the stock on hands, wasn't it? Because I kind of remember during that time with the freeze frames, like Walmart would put these stickers on the figures that said $2.99. And uh, it seemed like they were just trying to get rid of everything they had. I, I think so. Oh, as I recall, it, you started getting a lot of your figures reissued in this line that came out on the green card. Yes. And they started bringing them onto the freeze frame cards. And yeah, I think things started piling up a bit. I remember R2-D2 uh, with his accessories was a very hard figure for me to find. So I think things were starting to clog up a bit. Yeah. Uh, the peg warmers that I recall from that, I, I know in like 96 it was Hoth Han. Like I would go to Target and they would have like so many Hoth Hans. Uh, and then I think as at this point when you had the freeze frames, uh, it was the Endor Leia. Like those were everywhere. Um, and then, uh, I think even some of the cantina aliens like Garen Dan, like were kind of, you know, holding up like some of the newer waves from hitting, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it, it was, it was pretty cool though. I mean, that, that's a pretty unique pack. And when you think about it, you have these little freeze frames and then you have to mail away for the macro binoculars and then you could look at them like a little slide viewer, which is so old school just talking about it. But, uh, <laughs> for the time it was actually pretty cool. Right. Uh, the one that I always kick myself for not picking up is the weak way on the freeze frame card. I had it in my hands, and at the time, I was only buying what was new on the card. I wasn't getting everything. And so I was like, well, I already have weak way. I don't need another one, but it looks cool with the slide. But no, never mind. Maybe next time. And I never saw it again, yeah. only to find out, like, you know, it was a rather rare find. It, increased in value not that i purchase things for value i pretty much just write it all off at this point as money i've already spent but <laughs> it just knowing that it became so valuable i had it in my hands and i put it back i was just like i had that one yeah interesting stuff i mean like you said they did switch figures uh they did carry them forward a lot that was like one of the things i remember a lot about this line is that anything that was on an orange card was available later on a green card and some of that was available later with the freeze frame card um so i mean if, if you were collecting mint on card you know all, you had all of these different variants you had to pick up if you were into doing that um and, and i mean that was kind of hard because like i said these line this line was so huge that there was all this other stuff to buy and having everything carried forward was like kind of the last thing you wanted to worry about yeah, there was a lot to pick up if, especially if you were a completist and wanted all those variations and figures on different cards, it, there was certainly a lot to it. Definitely. So uh, as we drew closer to episode one, uh, after the freeze frames came and went, uh, Kenner changed the design of the card back uh, from the, the light, I guess it was like a lightsaber blade, was it? That's what I've always thought it was, like the lightsaber blade, the green card. Um, they changed that to more of like a starburst to kind of fit more with the episode one packaging. And uh, when they did that, they included these um, little, uh, they were called flashback photos. And the way that they worked was there was a little tab. And uh, each of the figures in this, in this line uh, had some relation to episode one, which was coming. 
Uh, some of them were in episode one, like like uh, Anakin or Beru, I think, had some connection to Shmi. So when you would pull like the little tab on Sh- on um, Beru, for example, there was an image of Shmi that would that would pop out. Right. Um, so each of these figures worked that way. You'd pull the tab and you'd see um, the earlier version of that character uh, or, you know, you, you know, just a glimpse of some relation to episode one. So those are pretty unique, pretty interesting. We'd, we've never seen anything like that again. Right. Yeah, it was certainly you're gearing up for the release of episode one. And I think for anyone that was following it, it was a way to just get any information, you know, when you're starving for information and want to know. And you got these toys with the little accessory where you slide that photo and you see a prequel character. It was it was fun to look at. It was. Um, And after that. Uh, you noted earlier that things switched over to Comtech. Once the episode one line came out, that was the pack, and you had a Comtech chip, and you would, you had to buy the scanner separately. Uh, but when you did, you know, you could scan the chip over it, and you would hear dialogue from the film. And uh, in the case of the episode one figures, it was just awful because none of them were the voice actors from the films, and they also had like an electronic sounding like quality to them. Right. I remember the battle droids. They, they always had like a. They always sounded like cowboys to me. <laughs> like like halt! You are under arrest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know I will say. I mean, obviously this is the precursor to the Force Link that we have now. Yeah. But as far as that reader goes, it was a great device, especially when you compare it to the Force Link band that you have now, because it had I want to say three or four buttons on it where you could store the chips that you were reading. So you could pick dialogue lines rather than waiting for it to cycle through. Uh, I like that functionality about it, especially when you look at the Force Link where you're constantly just tapping the thing, waiting to hear what you want. Yeah, it was definitely more reliable than Force Link. Uh, You know, you had all the... The reader itself was was pretty hardy. It was was large and, you know, uh, you would just... It was very reliable, though. You would scan your ComTech chip over it. You know, you could hear the, the sounds or, you know, the dialogue from the films. Um, but the Comtep's uh, chips themselves, they also have like a little peg where you could stain your fingers on them too. Right. So this carried over to Power of the Force. Uh, once episode one kind of, you know, had its big, you know, boom and was, was kind of the focus of Hasbro during that time, uh, they brought back Power of the Force for like two waves, I think, two or three waves. And uh, those figures uh, incorporated Comtech as well. They had the, the very similar packaging with the with the burst, uh, the green ele- electron, the green burst, or whatever you want to call it, that the flashback figures had. Um, but they also had uh, the Comtech chips, so you could use those with the reader as well, which I thought was a pretty nice little touch. It was just a nice line, yeah. Yeah, as I can't recall if those figures had uh, the actual dialogue from the films, uh, the Power of the Force ones. Do you remember? You know, I don't recall. I probably have not listened to those since I bought the figures. Same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm inclined to think that they they were the like the actual like Star Wars lines from the films for for some reason. Because I know the episode ones were not. I'm kind of for some reason I I feel like the Power of the Force ones were the actual dialogues, but I'd have to go back and check. I'm, I'm going to have to check. I, I got to know that now. <laughs> yeah, so there, there. let's see what else haven't we covered. Um, well, there, there was another Expanded Universe line within. Yes, there was the Expanded Universe line. What can you tell us about that one? That one had the card backs that you could peel about two-thirds of it on the back side. You could kind of sli- uh, slice open, and then it folded out into a little diorama piece. 
So you had, let's see, you had Grand Admiral Thrawn. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a Luke Skywalker in there as well. But it had a little, little yellow stripe on the bottom. Oh, and you had uh, from a video game, a Dark Forces video game. You had Kyle Katan? Kyle Katurn. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the space troopers, Mara Jade, that was her debut in the line. But yeah, the little card back, that was the, it was a neat thing. The card back opened up and gave you something to also display your figure on. Yeah. And, and that was another thing that it was another one of those lines where I, I wasn't familiar with most of those characters. So I, I passed them most of them. I think I got Thrawn and, uh, Maybe the, the, the Luke figure was like, was it, it was like a dark Luke, wasn't it? Where he had like the it black. It was, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but for the most part, I passed on those. But those were cool in the sense that, like you mentioned, you could peel the card backs and kind of have this little pop-up scene, which, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, those card backs were a little bit thicker than normal card backs. But, I mean, you're packing that into essentially, you know, a figure's card back. I mean, that really offered like a lot of bang for your buck at the time. It did, yeah. So those are pretty interesting. Did they do any vehicles uh, or any other sets along with those? Um, that might have been around the time that we had the um, the concept vehicles. The concept ones, yeah. yeah. I'm having a hard time with that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was around the same time we got the concept figures. I don't, you know, I don't think they were necessarily in the same branding. It didn't have anything that folded out within the package. You know, like we got years later with. Um, legacy collection uh clone wars vehicles where you know the box flipped open you could the photo that you saw in the front of the box you could flip out and make a little diorama but it, that line didn't have anything like that at the time right yeah it was definitely an interesting uh thing it wasn't quite as it didn't seem like the push was quite the same as it was for um shadows of the empire but it, uh, it definitely had its own, like, focus within this line. And, you know, the card backs were a little bit unique. And uh, they definitely stood out when you saw them on the shelves. Absolutely. And I have a story about this one. Do you remember the Escape the Death Star action figure game? Yes, I do. You had a, a kind of a wet-haired Luke Skywalker and a Darth Vader, I think, that came with that. Yes, and the Vader had a removable dome. I am forgetting that at the moment, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vader had a removable dome and a removable right hand. And it was actually quite similar to the Darth Vader with removable helmet figure that came out in the line. And I got to mention that Darth Vader with removable helmet was one of the ones that uh, was a huge upgrade to the original Power of the Force 2 uh, Vader. Uh, it, just, it was still muscular, but, you know, it had been slimmed down a little bit. And, you know, the fact that it had the helmet coming off. I think that was the first time that it happened in the Star Wars toy line, so that was a pretty remarkable figure. Yeah, there was a lot of excitement around that figure when it came out, and it was—it's still a good-looking figure. It, it still holds up pretty well, um, but I, I have fond memories of this particular set. In, in a moment, I'm going to ask you about your memories as well with the Power of the Force line. But uh, with this set, my brother actually got this one, I think, for Christmas from a relative. I want to say. And those two figures, I remember we, we had a lot of fun with them because uh, they were just great figures. And, you know, the Luke with the slick hair was pretty unique. And uh, he had a little bit of maybe like like grime on his on his um, on his armor, I guess, from from maybe the Dianoga or something. Um, but these figures, we took them and we decided to bury them in the ditch by our house. 
I could never tell you why we decided to do this. We just thought it would be fun. So it was kind of an experiment, I guess. Um, let me tell you what we did. So, um, okay, so at the time, and, and still to this day, my dad has been like hugely into Philadelphia cream cheese. And uh, I don't know if it still does because I don't buy it myself, but it used to come in these little like silver boxes. I remember that. <laughs> and uh, my brother and I were like, you know, this is like the perfect coffin, so to speak, for one of these figures. So we decided to to take um, one of the... <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny thinking back on this. Uh, we took Darth Vader and um, we completely uh, encased him in this, this little cream cheese box. We put him in there, we taped it up. And then we took the Stormtrooper Luke. We mummified Luke in masking tape. I don't know why, but we thought, hey, this is going to be a good experiment. We're going to bury them out in the ditch, and we're going to see which one holds up the best. So, and the story gets better, I got to say. So we took both of these figures, and it had been, like, raining a lot, right? So the ditch was wet, uh, muddy. And this was in the front of our house. So we, we took a, I went out there with my brother and, you know, we had a shovel and we dug, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really did this. We dug a hole, maybe like, I want to say it wasn't that deep. It was maybe like six inches deep or maybe a little deeper, but. So it's a scale. You did it to scale. <laughs> exactly. We did it to scale. And <laughs> so each of these holes was somewhat like close to each other, right? They weren't like that far apart. We put Vader in the cream cheese box in one hole and we put Luke mummified masking tape Luke in another hole and we just buried him. And uh, we walked away. We're like, okay, we're going to come back later. We're going to see what happens. So I think maybe a month or so passed. And then I asked my brother, like, hey, do you want to dig out those figures and see what happened? And um, he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we go out there to dig up the figures. We find the mummified Luke, right? And we take off all the tape and he's okay because he's like covered in tape. So okay. that was cool. <laughs> but then for um, Vader in the cream cheese box, we couldn't find him anywhere. He was like, gone. <laughs> he was gone. I don't know where he went, but he was, <laughs> he was just like totally gone. It was the weirdest thing. And to this day, like Aaron, I have no idea what happened to that Darth Vader figure. You should have mummified him. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was. The... You know what's funny about that is that like. <laughs> this seems like it's something out of Pet Cemetery. I think you were hoping they'd come back to life. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, it's kind of real world, isn't it? It has a real world application because when you think of like mummies, they do hold up over time, right? But then they do. <laughs> anything that gets buried, like I guess, turns to like nothing right so eventually um so yeah maybe that's what happened maybe just vader went he became one with the force <laughs> yeah so i assume that to this day that figure is either still there or maybe we just forgot where we buried him or uh the, i don't know he disappeared I, I mean i really couldn't tell you i don't think anybody saw us do it because we kind of lived in a rural area and uh, there weren't there wasn't like any other like houses that would have seen like us or you know any people that would have seen us doing this so mm. 
That's it, a good one. It's a mystery, and I, I know it's a it's kind of a long, like, wild story, but it um <laughs> when I think back to this line, it's one of the things that I have, like, one of the biggest memories of was this little experiment and <laughs> torturing these poor little <laughs> figures. So the other uh, thing that we did, and uh, this time... Prince Cheezer was a huge peg warmer where we lived, and we were just tired of seeing it. So my brother and I, um, you know, being up to our usual mischief, I guess, is we took one of the figures and we strapped it to a rocket that was left over. I don't remember if it was from New Year's or Fourth of July, but we strapped it to the rocket. We were obviously too young to really comprehend that if you weigh down something as light as a firework type rocket that... Uh, it's not going to perform as it should. It's not going to go straight oh, no. up. Yeah, so we we taped it to the rocket. We lit it up. Uh, and we didn't expect what was going to happen next. It, it went up for maybe about 15 feet. But then it kind of curved in our direction. And it, it went straight towards our house and crashed into the wall. And, um, you know, we had a brick wall. So there wasn't any damage to that. But then it kind of just like, you know, went around, skid, skidded around the patio a little bit. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, when we, when we walked up to it, there was Prince Cheezer still attached to the rocket, uh, in overall still, you know, good condition, except for the fact that some of his limbs had been charred to a crisp. <laughs> so he didn't really make it out alive, so to speak. And that was, that was just our disdain for that figure, you know, being such a huge peg warmer in our area. <laughs> we were like, we're going to take you down Prince Cheezer. And uh, I think we did a good job at doing that. Wow, you you really tortured your figures in your childhood, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Only the ones that we really didn't like, apparently. I guess. <laughs> Although that Vader and that Luke, I don't. The ones that we buried were great figures at the time. I don't know why we just. I, you know, it's probably because they were actually my brother's figures, and I probably said, "Okay, let's do it. Let's go. I'll go along with it." There so. you go. That's probably why. <laughs> so. <laughs> Now that I've gotten that story out there, I have to ask you, what are your fondest memories of the Power of the Force lane? I guess the the fun was just coming home with so many toys. Um, it seemed like if you wanted, if I wanted to go out and find toys, I could run to the store and there would be new stuff there. It, it wasn't really a struggle to find things. Uh, it seemed like there was a lot of discovery, too, with learning about learn it, it you learn more about the movies too in a way with discovering all these new creatures and aliens and uh, things like that and then just coming into the hobby learning about variations i mean this stuff probably existed when i was a child but you know you don't pay attention to those kind of things you just buy the toy uh, so yeah. I, I guess that'd be it for me yeah, it was definitely an interesting time. Like I said, uh, at this point in time, I had been collecting or, you know, I wouldn't maybe collecting is, isn't the appropriate word, but we had grown up with toys, uh, you know, whether it was Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters or Batman or, you know, even some Barbie stuff. Um, we had toys, but this was like the first line that I was able, I was old enough to actually, you know, like, like buy them with like the intent of keeping uh, a lot of them in the packages and, you know, having that restraint. Cause you know, if you're like a younger kid, I think if I was any younger, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, oh no, that was open as soon as we got in the car when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but it, it was, it was 
my first like experience with collecting Star Wars because that's when everything had come back, you know, in terms of the merchandise and the toys and the special editions. And I think I think what kind of kickstarted this was Lucasfilm was re-releasing the VHSs of uh, the original trilogy without the modifications, you know, without right. the, the alterations. So. Uh, and I think that's why they released all of this merchandise. But it really took off, obviously, because it, it's continued nonstop for the past 23 years. And, um, you know, I do have a lot of, you know, fond memories of the line, even though, like, I look at most of these figures and I, you know, they don't really hold up to this day. But, you know, there's all the excitement and all the hype and all the memories that uh, were created with this line and the fact that it did kind of kickstart everything that came afterward. Um, but I also remember the figures that were hard to find, like early on, it was like the princess Leia and the stormtrooper, uh, were just like impossible to find anywhere. And, uh, I mentioned the price point 476 at target, but at Toys R Us, or rather at KB toys, they were actually, uh, I want to say they were like 699. I and think so. I rarely went to KB because it was it was a couple bucks more to get a figure there. It was. And I remember that's for the first time where I found, like, I, I don't know what happened, but one day we went and they just had, like, a ton of Princess Leia and Stormtrooper. And I was like, okay, I finally found these, but why did it have to be KB Toys? Because now I got to pay $7 instead of $4. But, yeah, it's uh, it's just interesting how, much, how big this line got and, uh, you know, how some of the figures... Might have been harder to find early on, but, but, you know, for the most part, as things carried forward and, you know, more figures came out, I don't think any of them were really, like, impossible to find, you know, even even for myself as, you know, relying on, like, parents and family to, to drive me around to the stores to find this stuff and to help me collect stuff as they went to the stores, but uh, I always, you know, remember that, you know, some of these things were hard to get, but as time went on, they kind of weren't unless they were the mail aways or the exclusives that you know you just couldn't get without you know later on years later going to ebay but again it was just such a huge huge line and you know the, the toy hunting experiences at the time uh quite memorable you know as a kid going to these stores and looking for these figures and you know i still have them to this day so i still they still live at my parents house actually so like when i go back uh, you know, I kind of just look them over and, you know, remember, oh, I remember when I got this figure. I remember when I got that figure. Um, it, it's weird how you can associate so many memories with, you know, toys. And I think that's probably part of the reason that we're still here talking about this stuff 20 plus years later. That must be. And I, I, I'm kind of glad you say that because sometimes I wondered if that was just me where aside from toys, if I have to recall a certain time or event in life, I can't do that. <laughs> but if I look on my toy shelf and I say, I remember that figure. I got it at this time. And, oh, yeah, that's when this happened. You know, it's kind of like that. how I associate everything in life is by knowing when I picked up what toy. And I can even remember for a lot of them what particular store I found it or what city that store was in. So Absolutely. not for all, but, you know, a good portion. Yeah. It kind of all comes back. And it's just I've always thought that was kind of weird. But glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, like no, no, for sure. And I have a, I have a Han Solo from Power of the Force too, like or the early one, the orange carded one. And I remember getting that service merchandise. Like every time I see it, I remember that. Hmm. <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's because it's something that's always ongoing. So because, you know, we pick up these toys, um, 
you know, infrequently because, you know, it's, it's a process that you know, obviously in our case, it's like, you know, 20 plus year process. Um, you know, you, I guess those toys kind of mark what was going on in your life around that time or, you know, what was, you know, happening in different, different aspects of our lives. So it, it's interesting. It, it really is. I, I don't really have a reasoning behind that, but it, it, it is notable how, you know, you do associate a lot of memories with the toys or the toys, you know, um, help you to remember like things that might've been going on or, you know, where you found them at and so forth. And really, you know, we talked about the sculpt, you know, maybe doesn't hold up, but I will say that I feel like the paint applications to the figure and the detailing they did, you know, especially now that we're kind of back, you know, minus the vintage collection coming, but within the basic line, we're back to that five point articulation. I mean, you right. can com if you compare the paint jobs they did to the figures then compared to how they look now, uh, they were some really good looking figures, you know, minus the muscular sculpt. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Why is that though? Like why was the, why were the paint applications so much cleaner? Why was the QC so much better back then than it is now? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you, you of course, you'd think it would be the opposite. They'd have better control over those sorts of techniques and such. But, I mean, you could essentially just say, you know, to a relative, pick this figure up for me. You wouldn't have to worry as much about, oh, you know, it's going to come with, you know, one eye painted on its cheek or, or, <laughs> or whatever. Like, they were very consistent. Right. All right. Now, finally, Aaron, I asked you to come up with your five favorite Power of the Force 2 figures. So what do you got? I got to say this was a tough one, uh, <laughs> but it turns out that I went with a lot of the core characters and in no particular order. Well, the Darth Vader with removable helmet that we mentioned, I, I still to this day think that that was a solid figure. Nice. Uh, another one is the C-3PO on the freeze frame card with the cargo net. Ooh. Uh, it's a nice figure. Some of that could be nostalgia for me since I had the uh, breakaway C-3PO as a kid. But I still think it's a good-looking figure. Uh, might be from the same wave, but Luke with the uh, uh, blast shield. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, by that time we had a nice thinned-down Luke. Yeah. Uh, another that's probably nostalgia-driven, but that Bespin Luke Skywalker on the early waves of the freeze frame. Mm, mm -hmm. And then just the first R2-D2 that they released in that initial wave. Uh, it's all clean, white. I like the chrome dome. Nothing really fancy to it other than the dome, but I, I guess just something very basic about it, and it just always catches my eye when I look at it. Let's go, chrome dome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it also has the uh, the light. Like, if you shine a light above it, like, you can see right. It kind of like lights up, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, they did that with a few figures. Yeah, great list. So for me, um, I actually kind of tried to shy, shy away from main characters, but there's a couple in there. Uh, and again, in no particular order. Um, but I have Wooher from the uh, the Comtech uh, line. Yeah. Uh, I just think that he has a fantastic sculpt, and it is one that has not really come back. It, it did come back in one of the... Uh, uh, it was the Kmart exclusive Cantina uh, three packs that had uh, the bar mm -hmm. sections, uh, and that one is just way too like dirtied up. They gave it like a really dark wash, so it, it just looks weird. Uh, this one is way better, and of course it has the uh, the droid detector in there too, which is incredible. Right. Uh, I also have Anakin Skywalker uh, from the uh, the same line, I think, or was it from the same line? It might have been actually. This was from the freeze frame line. Or no, no, it wasn't. It was from the, the flashback, flashback photos. Flashback photo line. And um, 
Yeah, I think this is a really cool one because it does kind of harken back to that old Power of the Force uh, from 1985 line that had very similar figure. And uh, it's really the only figure, unless you count the ghost one, uh, the spirit figure, um, that we've gotten based on Sebastian Shaw in the modern line. So I greatly appreciate that figure on, on, on those merits as well. But it, it, it's also a good looking figure. Um, let's see, I also have Aunt Beru. Uh, because that is uh, also the only old Aunt Beru that we've gotten in the modern line. And I think it holds up pretty well. It's a nice sculpt. It's got good paint. And she has a little treadwell droid with her, which is fun. Uh, I have Beomar Monk, who was one of the male or one of the uh, internet exclusives. And um, it's it's a kind of a different figure. It's a little bit bigger, obviously very spider-like. But I just think that... It's a lot of fun uh, when you just get right down to it. It looks great. It's awesome in the diorama. And I love all the poseable legs and the little brain in the in the dome yeah. canister that it has. I love that they put a brain in there. It's awesome. And um, finally, I also have Darth Vader with removable helmet because, uh, as we mentioned earlier, that is just one of those figures that kind of defines um, power of the force as it was growing and evolving and kind of finding its identity getting away from those really buff looking figures you had a more slimmed down vader uh and of course he had those features that had never been offered on a on a three three quarter inch vader figure at that point which one was the removable helmet and the other one being the removable hand uh which you you know obviously added a lot of playability if you were playing with the figures or taking them out of the packaging but uh, i think it's definitely one of those highlights uh, for the three and three quarter inch power of the force line. Yeah, that sounds like a very good list also. Uh, so Aaron, uh, given the last 23 years of Hasbro Star Wars toys, what do you think has been the legacy of the power of the force two line in the grand scheme of things? I feel like the legacy would probably be the explosion of Star Wars coming back. Um, for many people, you know, maybe not the person, you know, the, not the big fans. Certainly Star Wars went away. We had Return of the Jedi, and then everything was kind of off the shelves and out of sight, out of mind, so to speak. And I think with Power of the Force, that was the explosion back into retail. That's the explosion of back into pop culture, of the movies, launching the prequels, and then, of course, where we're at now with sequel trilogies and spinoff movies. Uh, so I, I, I think that's what it is. And, and now also, I think, Today, it's a nostalgia for people such as you, where I think you mentioned you were 10 when that line was out. For me, uh, well, I was older. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, 95. So I was, I was in my early 20s. So for me, it was the nostalgia of the vintage figures. And for you now, I guess the Power of the Force 2 line is becoming the vintage figures for the younger generation. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because, you know, like 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 you noted, and like I noted earlier, uh, I wasn't around when the original trilogy came out. I mean, I, I grew up, when I think of Star Wars, as, as a little kid, it was like on, you know, Saturday mornings where, you know, the, the local channels would, would run like Return of the Jedi or, you know, A New Hope on, uh, on you know, on basic cable, like you'd see it on, on your local stations and such. And uh, I know we had like the VHSs as well, so we'd watch those. But uh, that was that was pretty much the extent of my exposure to Star Wars. I didn't see it in the theaters, uh, you know. Didn't I think you know we actually did have a couple of the toys that somehow ended up in our collection? Because I know I have, I still have the Tauntaun. It's missing one of the horns, and um, 
I have the, uh, somehow I ended up with the, the Zuckus figure, but he's missing like his outer robe. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, this, the Power of the Force 2 line was in fact like my introduction to Star Wars toy collecting. Um, because again, that's when the VHSs came back. And uh, this is when they were gearing up for the special editions a couple years later. And, uh, you know, like Star Wars was was back in a, in a huge way. And I think that's really what sucked me in and got me into this hobby that's been, pretty much been continuous for the last 23 years. And it really did, you know, jumpstart the line because it was essentially non-existent for 10 years. It was just kind of the dark ages, as it's often referred to, um, by collectors. Uh, there wasn't anything really and then all of a sudden you know there was and then it's it's just been continuous since then so uh, I think pretty much any line that exists now whether it's like anything that's come between that point and now whether it's like Power of the Jedi or the Saga collection the Legacy collection the Vintage collection or anything that we're getting now uh, really has a debt of gratitude to the Power of the Force 2 line because it's the line that really got things going once again and got people back into collecting Star Wars and you know, watching the films and being able to see the films in the first for the first time in the theater, like myself with the special edition. So, um, it, it was a huge line, and uh, I think ultimately, you know, anything that we've gone definitely has its roots uh, back in Power of the Force too, because it really kickstarted everything that's come since then. Indeed, and I think they treated it well in terms of the way the figures were released. You know, you had your core figures initially, and then they kind of focused on. Uh, waves within the movie you know if you had your hoth luke you were getting a hoth soldier or a snow trooper you know things were very focused in that way so that you had a group of figures that you could go out and get in you know i guess especially for children you know you could focus on that scene whereas now things are kind of little sporadic you know yes. you, you're, you're going to get luke from a different movie you're going to get a younger luke and you know maybe some random uh, character from another scene gets thrown in and so nothing not a lot of cohesion to it and I think they developed that early on very well in the Power of the Force 2 line absolutely absolutely it, it really grew from you know having uh, very focused figures like the, your A New Hope core characters to you know more core characters from uh, like X-Wing Luke or Dagobah Luke or you know Boba Fett and so forth and then they just kind of worked it there to the more peripheral characters like Greedo and uh, Hammerhead and, and so forth. And it really just exploded from there because then you were getting obscure stuff like EV-99 or 8D8 and, you know, just some of these more like random characters that only appear in the film for a blip of a second. Right. So it, it really grew. And uh, I, I don't think that if this line happened now, there's there's definitely no way it would be as big as it was at the time. And uh, it probably would be broken up as well. I, I don't think that uh, unless Star Wars completely went away for another 10 years and we didn't get action figures, I don't think that uh, we could see anything the likes of the Power of the Force 2 uh, ever again at this point, I would say. I would agree with that. I, you just I don't think that's going to hit in that scale uh, and with the variety that they gave. Absolutely. And all the different assortments like we were talking about earlier, the weird stuff like the the uh, the FX figures or uh, any of these weird assortments, a uh, complete galaxy. I mean, it was it was it was a different time. 
And I think that, you know, obviously Kenner at the time was was a lot more experimental and was, you know, willing to try all these different things to see what worked and what didn't. And um, it, it was it was just it's definitely something that I think as time goes on, uh, obviously, we're going to have come a long way from, you know, technologically speaking, the figures and, and everything that came then. Um, but, you know, it, it's always going to be that one line that kind of brought Star Wars back and, you know, really geared us up for everything that was going to that was to come since then because i think from that point to now we've probably gotten thousands of figures um a hundred vehicles i i really don't know but i mean there's just tons and tons of merchandise that's hit since 1995 and uh, i think it all goes back to the power of the force too it all goes back to that very first line that jump started uh star wars back into the forefront of our consciousness and you know the forefront basically of pop culture as well right well, Aaron, as always, it has been a great pleasure having you on the show. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add with regards to the Power of the Force 2 line? Well, I, I feel like we pretty well covered it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have anything to add. I think this is probably, ult- ultimately, I think it's going to be the longest of these retrospective episodes, just given the nature of how lo- how big the Power of the Force line was and how long it ran and everything that it did involve. Um, so, yeah, thank you for hanging in there with me as we worked our way through all of this stuff. Well, thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so you do amazing work on YouTube, as I noted at the beginning of this episode. Uh, you know, top-notch professionalism and quality of your videos. You know, all of that really stands out. Your passion for collecting and uh, all of the toys that you're showing, you know, it really does stand out. So uh, anyone that is listening... Uh, I assume that most people would be familiar with your work. We have had you on the show before, but if they haven't, absolutely go check out Aaron's channel. It's fabulous. I can't recommend it to you enough. Uh, I will include a link down in the show notes. Uh, And Aaron, where else can people go to find you online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, also at Toy Shelf Review, and Instagram, the same. Fabulous. Well, Aaron, thank you again for uh, sitting through me for this past almost two hours now of going back in time and looking at the power of the force to line with uh 2018 lenses because it's been interesting it has thanks thank you again for having me the power of the force 2 talking about that line brings back a lot of memories for me it is the first star wars toy line i was exposed to and as a kid it was a tremendous joy to collect In our next episode, we will move on to the next line that followed the Power of the Force, Episode 1. With 2019 being the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, it'll be fun looking back at all the things we got with that line. So I hope you'll tune in as we look back at the incredibly vast toy line created for that film, as well as the notoriety that came along with it. Until then, that'll do it for this episode of the Cantina Chatter Podcast. Once again, a huge thanks to Aaron for hanging out with me in this episode. If you enjoy professional quality toy reviews from a lifelong collector, definitely check out Toy Shelf Review on YouTube. I'll have some links for you in the show notes. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate Cantina Chatter and leave a review. In fact, be sure to do that no matter where you're checking out the show, whether it be Google Play or Podomatic or YouTube or anywhere else. This show is a labor of love, and it is here for all of you to enjoy. 
If you are so inclined, Victoria's Cantina is on Patreon. To gain greater access to Victoria's Cantina and to help keep the lights on, be sure to hit that link in the show notes. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Cantina Chatter Podcast.